Guru Nation, welcome to episode 442 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, this is actually our monthly webinar. Uh, the topic this month was on diversity in clinical research and how we as researchers, what the industry as a whole needs to do in order to attract more of a diverse patient population and also how to reflect more of the real world situation uh, for some of these therapeutic conditions like lupus, like schizophrenia, like Alzheimer's, which tend to affect and impact minorities uh, worse than Caucasians uh, in, in many cases. So. There's a, this is a real problem in the industry. Everybody's definitely talking about it with the current climate that we're in right now. Uh, there's a lot of good ideas being thrown out there, but I think you'll hear from the webinar, Chris and my idea and our thesis really is to really start from the ground up, grassroots approach, get more clinicians involved in research, get more minority clinicians involved in research, and get more of the clinicians, whether minority or not, who treat people of color and diverse population of, uh, of uh, patient participants or, or, or potential study participants, get them enrolled in studies through the clinicians, educating the clinicians first. Clinical research has a branding problem, and I think the only way around that is to have clinicians educate patients, not the industry and not think tanks but clinicians, real clinicians. So this is the webinar on diversity in clinical research. Check out links in the show notes to everything, the Patreon channel. It's been growing like crazy, $5 a month. We have a monthly mastermind meeting where we hold each other accountable, how we're gonna grow our opportunities, whether it's our career opportunities or our business opportunities uh, using social media. Check that out, patreon.com slash dansfera. We also have the CRA Academy, CRC Academy. Both links are in the show notes. We also have study services where we help sites get studies and we help people start sites. Just text me if you're interested in that, 949-415-6256. Thank you so much for supporting the book. It's still grow growing strong and consistently. People are discovering us, the Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. I appreciate it. Could not have done this without you guys. So thank you so much and thank you for listening as always. And I uh, hope you enjoy this one. 20. Um, webinar that we have for Clinical Trials Guru and DSCS, Sweat Equity and Investments. Very important topic about diversity, inclusion, equity in clinical research. Uh, it's an industry hot topic, which it should be, uh, and it's been gaining more and more steam over the last several years and definitely has been extremely um there there's been a lot of ex acceleration in this there's been a lot of it, an acceleration of interest in this topic um this year as a matter of fact uh, it kind of makes sense with everything that's going on in the world as far as diversity inclusion equity these are all industry hot topics so and they're very important so this is what this webinar is going to be about as always, it will be recorded on YouTube and on the podcast. If you are watching or listening on one of those and you want to be on the next one live because you can ask questions, uh, you got to subscribe to the email list. So just go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com 
subscribe, and you'll be good to go. So how's it going, Chris? Going well, Dan. Thanks for having me yourself. Doing good. Are you looking forward to this uh, webinar with Carlos doing a really good job on the slides uh, once again? So is, that an assumption? is that an assumption or a fact? Have you reviewed these? It's half. I've reviewed half. Oh, okay. So it's half of something. Half of my brain capacity looks at it. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so we'll go to slide number two, right? Inclusivity. Okay. And uh, a commonly accepted idea in clinical research is that study volunteers are not entirely representative of the larger population. This is true. And Chris, you and I and Dr. Al and Monica just did a clinical scoop episode. For those of you needing to go subscribe to podcast and YouTube, the clinical scoop. Uh, we looked up lupus as an example, and 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 we also looked up schizophrenia. And uh, I think schizophrenia is four times more likely to be diagnosed amongst African Americans, and three times more likely to be diagnosed amongst Latin Americans Which than it is against Asian Americans. Yeah, and we both found that surprising, I believe. Yeah, very much so. But then what these studies, you know, especially studies like lupus you're getting primarily Caucasian volunteers, uh, and then lupus is a condition that affects women much more than men. Uh, and women tend to be a little more hesitant uh, as far as joining studies. But we also have minorities, especially African-Americans, understandably so with Tuskegee incident, um, you know, which stemmed from 1940, I think, until the 70s. Uh, you know, that was a real uh, bad scar on the industry that we're still dealing with to this day. Mm -hmm. And so we need to fix that. And, you know, we think we have several ideas and we're actually implementing them, but there's more than one way, I think. But our idea is getting more minority clinicians, so PIs, nurse practitioners, Yep. Sub-eyes, coordinators, recruiters, more minority clinicians working in the industry. I think that's where it starts. And I think, Chris, you also agree with me. Absolutely. That would make the most sense. And so as far as in inclusivity is concerned, this is not just, believe me, uh, whoever is watching and listening right now, this is not just big pharma wanting to do something that looks good for PR. Okay, this is the FDA's mandating that research studies be more indicative and more, more, more reflective of the real world population. So for a condition like lupus, where it's 90% female and very heavy on the minorities, uh, African Americans in particular, and Hispanic and Hispanic Americans, okay, the FDA is saying we need to see these type of people in the studies as well, and we're not seeing that. And this is a real problem because the FDA is not going to accept this data from the studies. And so sponsors have a real issue on their hands, but also a real opportunity on their hands if they could figure it out. And uh, Chris and I, you know, we're open for business. We are working with several sponsors on this right now, and we're willing to work with you if you're a sponsor and you have this type of issue reach out to us. Uh, what do you think about this, Chris? In inclusivity. We get a few slides of inclusivity. I mean, it makes, 
makes perfect sense. If if seventy five percent of one ethnical group has this condition, but only is represented by maybe five percent of the population participating in the research, so ninety five percent is by, by a group that really doesn't experience this this um, illness or whatever it might be, then your data is not going to reflect what you want it to show in terms of uh, in terms of the population. That probably is very convoluted to what I said. Basically what it boils down to is, and I'm not as eloquent as Dan here, but um, the medications are oftentimes built for a group that isn't predominantly affected by this disease. If you have just Caucasians participating in a drug study and they're only 10% of the population that's becoming ill with this disease, the medication is not going to be representative of who's fighting this disease more often. So, and it may work different for different ethnical groups, races. It's just that's the way it works oftentimes. It works a little differently. Right. Mm -hmm. that, was that clear enough or was that very convoluted? Well, this is a complicated topic, so it's it's tough to articulate everything. And, the, you know, and we have more slides, so I think it'll be more clear on the next slide. All right, then we'll move on to that one. Yeah, matter of fact, the next two slides deal with inclusivity, and then we're going to get into data and things like that. Um, okay, so... Uh, there are many reasons for why certain groups are not included in studies. Uh, I think this is what you were getting at, Chris. One of the major reasons might be that there's a negative connotation associated with clinical research and testing on humans. So this is clinical research is uh, the industry's problem as a whole. Uh, if we can forget about minority inclusivity for a second and just discuss clinical research participation in general, Okay, clinical research has a branding problem. If you go ask the average Joe on the street to do a clinical trial, the average Joe is going to tell you, no way am I going to be a guinea pig. And that's a problem. That's a major hurdle that the industry has not made much progress on. With yeah, all this talk true. of technology, with all this talk, Chris, I'm on LinkedIn every day, multiple times a day. With all this talk about technology and let's make technology more patient-centric so we can empower patients, okay? A lot of it is just buzz and uh, hype because what kind of technology is gonna help convince someone that they're not a guinea pig if they do a study? Right. Right, it doesn't exist. So the industry, you know, there's a lot of vendors out there trying to catch this wave of decentralized trials and virtual trials and for some reason they think that patients are just going to show up because we're patient centric and this just this is not the way the world works okay so the world re relies the clinical research world relies and depends on the average joe and the average jane and the average African-American and the average Latin American to not immediately think negative things about clinical research. And we're nowhere near that point. Um, 
and there are people on LinkedIn talking about these things as well. I just interviewed a guy, Adam Brown from ClinArc. I also interviewed um, another uh, a, a physician from Harvard, which we're going to get into their slides a little bit at the end because I think what they're doing is pretty important as well when it comes to inclusivity. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of grassroots work. It's not just creating these tools, these electronic patient reported outcomes. That's going to make life easier for the patients that are in the studies, yes. But that's not going to really move the bar when it comes to getting new patients enrolled. So what moves the bar? So what moves the bar? Benefits? The bar is a Showing that there's benefits? I think it's even before that. It's the patient has to trust the clinician. And if you go into these, a lot of these communities where there are minorities and the majority of the clinicians also have a negative perception of clinical research, okay, that's not doing anything to help the enroll these minority patients in studies. What the industry needs to do, and there's only a few people like us doing this, is going out in these communities and educating these clinicians on research and why they should consider participating in research and why they should consider offering research opportunities as an alternative to their patients. Because the patients trust these, these clinicians in, in the community, especially if they're from the same background. So African-American patients tend to trust African-American physician or a nurse practitioner, et cetera. I think that's where it starts, and I think that uh, that is not solved by technology. Well, of course not. But I would agree with you. I think there needs to be some trust building. But at some point, you also have to show that there's benefits. Right. I think that's part of the process. And I think that comes, if you look at it as like a sales process, you know, first you got to start with a relationship of trust. And then you can start, once you have that established as your foundation, I think you can then get into the benefits and the pros and cons of doing research for patients. I think that's really what it takes. And we're bypassing that step when sites are running ads or even worse, when big pharma is running ads for clinical research. We're trying to bypass the trust, the foundation, and there's no wonder why most of these campaigns are not effective. It's so we got to comment. Yeah, well, bring them on. Bring on all your comments. Let's see what they're saying. Nancy Lockhart says, I appreciate your daily presence on on LinkedIn. Thank you. I appreciate yours as well. Miriam, I'm going to butcher her last name. I'm horrible with names. I apologize, Miriam. Yeah, Chris is not very good with names, but he's good with many other things. So we give him a pass. Miriam Fanmalayo. She's uh, horrible. Sorry. I know that's name close. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for organizing this webinar. My question is, often do you reach out to students who are pursuing MPH degrees, especially minority students? They seem to be more open for clinical research studies compared to community members. After public health, um, I'm assuming that's what they're talking about. Yeah, so how often do we, we don't reach out at all. Uh, we do have a lot of MPH students reaching out to us about the CRA Academy and the CRC Academy. And pretty soon, I've been talking to Chris and Monica, 
we are going to be incorporating um, uh, finding ways to enhance minority participation as we get more projects across the board for our interns. Right now, we are not doing very much of that with our interns because we have a breast cancer study. Uh, but we are landing some projects and hopefully more when it comes to the things we're talking about today with this webinar, inclusivity, diversity. And we do plan on having our students, because uh, a lot of our students, you're right, are minority background. So it's like a perfect fit for the projects that we have coming up. So I think it's just a matter of time before we start doing that. But no, we have not been actively approaching master of uh, public health candidates uh, to do research. We've been typically relying on them to find them. So Angel Moses says patients need to identify with someone that looks like them in the healthcare community to gain trust. Even then it is a struggle. Exactly. I agree. 100%. And I don't think technology is going to help us, unfortunately. I think it's just good old-fashioned sweat and hard work that's going to yep. help us. Yep, agreed. And, and we're willing to do it, even on a small scale. I mean, we'll take what we can get. Then uh, I'll try it again, Miriam. Miriam Funlio, hopefully that's closer. Hello, thank you for organizing this webinar. My question is, how often do you... Oh, I already read that. Oh, I went back. Uh, so we'll skip that one. We'll go to our next question. Master Public Health, yes. Please share the breast cancer study with me. One of my areas of research interest. So, Marion, that, that's first. Are you a student? Is she a student? Um, maybe the one in the current class, because if she's oh. an intern, she would already be doing the. Right. So, if you're in the current class, Marion, you will receive access to that once you've completed the class. Then, um, Melanie Brewer, Angel, well, addressing somebody else that says, Angela, I agree so much with you. The studies have shown patients are more open to providers who they can relate to culturally and ethnically and it improves their care. Yeah, so. I 100% I agree. Okay, so that's it for the comments so far. So we can go on this to the next been, slide. This has been our thesis, and it's amazing to me how Big Pharma, I don't know if they haven't seen it, I mean, it's kind of common sense, but I think they kind of don't know what to do about it because it's a lot of work and there's not real profit in, at, at least at their scale, it's not their core competency to go help sites get started. You know, that's kind of like where, where we fall into this, Chris. I mean, this is our core competency. So I sure. think we have been, you know, as, as the social uh, zeitgeist uh, has been moving us towards more inclusivity and diversity, I think Chris and I have been the beneficiaries of this, uh, at least starting to be. So, knock on wood, we'll get more more projects like this. Mm -hmm. um, slide four. We now? We're on slide four now? Okay. Well, well, we missed the bullet point on the bottom of slide three. One controversial reason might be that clinical trials don't pay participants enough for them to justify staying in a trial. I think Carlos got this bullet point from my interview with the doctor from MRCT from Harvard. Um, and so for those that are, haven't seen that interview, go watch it. Um, I think in some studies this is the case, yeah. We can go to slide four. Uh, slide four, 
Another factor for the lack of inclusivity is that many sites have office hours that overlap with typical work for most people. This is also true. Uh, you know, most sites are open nine to five, eight to six, right? And so they don't really consider the time for people that work those same hours. This is true. And I think, I think the people from pharma who are pushing for virtual trials kind of use this bullet point as their foundation for, um, for patient centricity. But this only helps for the people that have already agreed to be in studies. Okay, it still doesn't do anything to erase the stigma that clinical research is a bad idea. Okay, so this is an important distinction to be made. But I think this bullet point here, Chris, I mean, the first one I read, that's like the foundation. That's like the thesis for patient centricity and all these technology platforms that enable patients to do studies from their home as often as possible. I'm all for that. Yeah, but that does nothing. Those patients, somebody had to convince those patients that they need to do that study in the first place. And that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about this? Yeah, I would agree. You agree? Good. Any, no more comments. You interrupt me when there's comments, okay? I will do that, and I'll interrupt you when I have something important to say, or at least okay. I feel so. Okay, good. Just like in our meeting Friday, we're going to practice. <laughs> no, no, no. That's different. Only Chris and I understand what we're talking about. It, this is true. Okay, so second bullet point, the sampling bias that occurs uh, produces results that are poor generalizations of the larger population. This is what we were talking about in the beginning with the FDA. They're not going to accept data if it's not reflective of the general population. What happens, you know, different races, different ethnicities, they, they uh, process drugs differently yep. right so that was my point I, earlier yeah and so you do need my i mean this is a huge issue not just for the not just to include more minorities and give more minorities access to alternative treatments and and, and potential breakthrough treatments but to give those same minorities who don't do studies safer drugs safer meds and this is what the fda is looking to do that's so correct. not just it's not just about good PR for the drug companies. Uh, and lack of inclusivity produces lower quality data. This is true. So next slide, we got sharing data. And this is where we get into some technology. Um, it could help. So these are some other ways besides some grassroots approach. Uh, one way to mitigate the effects from studies with unrepresentative populations is for researchers to share data. This is true. Like. When you have, when a doctor, especially a key opinion leader, publishes something on PubMed, uh, they usually get their peers to review it, okay? What this tells me is not only do we need to share more studies, more data, not only do we need more pilot studies, but we need more minorities, minority physicians doing these studies. We basically need more minority key opinion leaders if we can get that. And they're out there, okay? They just need to be shown 
research as a viable business opportunity for them or a viable scientific uh, opportunity for them or both, right? And we know a lot of doctors that do pilot studies, but I think we need more minority physicians doing these pilot studies or at least the physicians that are doing these pilot studies sharing the results, sharing the data, even when when drugs fail, right? A, a big problem with clinicaltrials.gov is uh, sharing study results. So sponsors are supposed to post their study results. They tend to only post good results. They don't post bad results. And posting the bad results would be helpful because it would help other researchers learn more, maybe do better studies, maybe design better studies, etc. Uh, you have any thoughts on this, Chris? No, I was reading a the next comment from a from a attendee of the webinar. Oh, what did they what do they have to say? When the healthcare community try to recruit minorities, they also need to keep in mind if working in underserved communities, they need to speak in layman terms to a patient to help understand the study and the importance of the study. So basically well I like the way they inform consents to be written. It's to be written in such a way that anybody who can read can understand it. I think right. it can be written at an eighth grade level. Right. So that's essentially what this person is saying. It's not, you don't want to speak scientifically or or over their head. You want you want to be able to relate to them and speak in right. terms that they'll understand. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to sharing data, what we're talking about right now, this is meant for researchers. This is meant for peer-to-peer -peer sharing. So we're talking about one physician doing a pilot study uh, and then publishing their results so that other physicians, hopefully minority physicians that treat minority patients can look at, right? And we're not getting enough data being shared, basically, is what the industry, one of the problems uh, that we're seeing. Would you say it's, I mean, there's another component to that. There may not be enough information to share but because of the lack of involvement. Yeah. Well, if there's a study done and there's data captured, there is information to be shared. Now the question is, is this data valuable? Um, and so this goes back to study sponsors typically just posting the good study results and not the bad study results. Uh, I think we need both to be shared. It's actually mandatory both are shared, but it's not really enforced very much. No. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we need more, basically we need more physicians and clinicians educated on studies so that they can be more informed and give a better opinion to their patients. Well, there's, a, there's a question about sharing data. What can be done to increase sharing of negative data or bad results? What can be done to enforce this? Or Just enforce it more. I know the, um, the, the clinicaltrials.gov clinical used to be under the under the ownership of the NIH. I think it's now under the ownership of the FDA. So it's just a matter of enforcing it and finding. I mean, I'm, that's above our pay grade. If you pay me enough, I'll find these companies. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been given the okay to do this. It'd be kind of fun. <laughs> We're open to it. If somebody wants to hire us, we'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd actually enjoy it a little bit. So, well, we'll give Chris the, the main duties then. Yeah, for a while. It'd get boring <laughs> after a while, but it'd be fun at first. Yeah, then we could have student interns do it. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, sharing data may help to reduce the number of failed studies, small trials, or underpowered trials. Exactly. So you can fail faster. You can basically innovate quicker if you fail faster. Uh, slide six, continuing sharing data. We have a few more on sharing data. Um, sharing data is also helpful for physicians who may prescribe off-label medications, which are basically small clinical trials in and of themselves. I mean, without really being a clinical trial. Uh, if it's off-label, if there's data on a drug, if, if there's enough data on a drug, it's going to help physicians be able to more educatedly look, more, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More intelligently, uh, prescribe, right? Even if it's off label. Look, some of the best doctors in the world know how to prescribe off label and they do it because no one else is willing to do it, but they do it because they're well versed in the latest research. And, they're really the pioneers. They're, they're the potential KOL, too, key opinion leaders. So we need more of those doctors, I think, participa actually participating in research. Uh, patients can also benefit from the availability of shared data. Most patients don't get told the results of the trial they participated and uh, might never know if they received an active medication in a double-blind study. Now, this is what I got from uh, the director of MRCT with Harvard, you know. It's crazy that patients, most of them, don't get told the results of a trial they participated in. Like, they don't but, get told the results. I may have a very negative, or not negative, narrow view, but at least in the studies in which the clinics we own, patients don't care. I mean, they look, just truly don't care, but it's a different set of patients that maybe it's understandable why they don't care. So... I don't know if more healthy, normal patients, maybe they care a little more whether or not they would receive active drug or not. I suppose if I were to participate in a trial, I would want to know. Yeah. I mean, you see this a lot in oncology uh, where patients are like lupus, for example, Alzheimer's. You know, if a patient's in a study and there's two comparator treatments, but they're blind, right? They know they did well. Okay, but they don't know which one they took. Uh, right. And, and, and not only that, but they don't really get the results of the study itself. Like sponsors, I think, should find a way to have the sites communicate the results to the patients. A lot of times um, these results are not even shared with the site, so I mean, yeah. the results. Yeah, we're in the dark also. So this, I think all of these issues collectively are preventing participation in clinical research in general, but also compounding the minority and lack of diversity in mm -hmm. research. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Uh, big, ugly, fat problem, big, ugly, hairy problem that uh, is a lot of opportunity for a lot of people if they could figure it out. Um, slide seven. Sharing data can go a long way in making the industry more transparent. And sponsors can also benefit from sharing data with others in situations that demand different requirements uh, for medications to be approved in other countries. This is also true, right? So if you have, for example, 
like a lot of Latin Americans in a study. It's going to help you probably get that drug approved in Mexico, Europe, uh, Latin America. I mean, obviously, right? It's the same people over there. Um, and so, or vice versa, right? If you have a lot of, uh, like, let's take Spain, for example, right? We know they do studies in Spain, obviously in Spanish, right? I mean, all the rating scales, we do central nervous system, right? So we do schizophrenia. Oftentimes what prevents some Latin Americans from participating in research in the United States is if they don't speak English. Well, the excuse has been that there's no scale that can be translated into Spanish that's been certified. But then my response would be, well, how are they doing this study in Spain? What scales are they using there? It's the same scale. So it's really just a matter of sharing the data and sharing not only the data, but the tools, the best practices to be used. Um, I thought when I interviewed this person from Harvard, I keep forgetting her name. It's been like over a month, but uh, the, the podcast is out there. Um, we're going to get into those slides next. She brought up that point, you know, uh, how can they do a PANS in Spain in Spanish and tell you that they don't allow that in the United States? And it makes sense if you think about it. Um, so, any thoughts on this, Chris? No. Now we go to slide eight. And slide eight is all about this podcast I keep talking about. I did two podcasts um related to this topic. I did one with Adam Brown from ClinArc, and I did one with this physician, <clears throat> brilliant physician, I keep forgetting her name, from MRCT, Multi-Regional Clinical Trial Center of Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard. So basically, this organization exists to tackle all the issues we've been talking about so far. I mean, they're a nonprofit. So they survive on donations from industry, from patient advocacy groups, um, government grants. They do a lot of studies themselves on um, techniques and approaches. So anyone who's interested in this subject definitely needs to check out the MRCT website and start networking with some of those. They're all on LinkedIn. They're all over social media. So go network with them. Uh, they determine the level of inclusivity of a study by looking at pretrial data, materials provided to patients, patient engagement, patient education, and study design. So basically, sponsor comes to them and says, hey, we're planning this study. We want it to be inclusive of the general population for this condition. Help us with pretrial data, materials, uh, etc. Company like DSCS, what we do, Sponsor comes to us for the exact same thing, but they say, hey, help us find the sites and help us train these sites, even if they're research naive. As long as the sites have access to these patients that we're looking for, we want them to be well-versed on research. So help us find these sites and then you train them. That's really the difference between us and MRCT. Uh, we kind of get involved before they would get involved, if that makes sense. Uh, just a little background on them. And then the last slide, most of the studies that the MRCT Center produces are focused on analyzing policies and conducting meta-research. 
therapies. And the MRCT center is focused on patients uh, and has looked at the language found in ICFs and the data patients produce and study results. They look at all this stuff. So it's a really interesting group to uh, interact with. And like I said, a lot of opportunities in this space and around this topic. So that's pretty much it for the presentation, unless Chris has anything else to add or unless uh, any other people have any questions or comments. If you're looking to break into the industry, you probably should look here because this is a place that people need help. Very good job, Dan. Well, thank you. Huh? Jevelyn commented, but I don't understand her comment. She says, Dr. Baran. Do you understand that? Oh, the MRCT? Are you there, Dan? Yeah, I think that's the doctor I interviewed. Oh, it must be. Yeah. Yeah, she says, lady, you interviewed. So, yeah. Thank you, Jeslyn. He says, you're welcome. Anybody else? Anybody else want to correct Dan? Uh, what's that? <laughs> I said, does anybody else want to correct Dan? Oh, yeah, please. We welcome <laughs> all. Um, actually, send all your complaints to Chris at hey. brkthru.org. That was not required, requested. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one, guys. It's an important topic. At the end of the day, it's not that complicated. At the end of the day, technology can be a tool, but it's not the leading tool. The leading tool is, un is not unfortunately, the leading tool is human-to-human -human interaction. And te what technology does is it allows for one-to-many interaction uh, or like a scalable way to communicate uh, that's fine for when the study is already ongoing and you want to make the study easier for the patients to participate in, but to get them to even consider a study requires human-to-human, face-to-face, boots-on-the-ground, all the cliches you can think of, grassroots, all those cliches, this is what it is going to take. Blood, sweat, and tears. And we need more minority, we need more minority, period participating in clinical research, not just as patients. I'm talking about working in the industry. And the industry actually has done a fairly good job uh, with inclusion. Uh, you know, I think it's majority female in this industry, at least from CRA's perspective, and um, a, a good amount of minorities. So the industry is doing a lot when it comes to hiring uh, for diversity. And uh, I think we just need more. We need more at the site level and I think we need more like at the clinician level. I think that's the key. And I don't know how it starts, but I know they're out there. So I guess the way we see how it starts is getting the ones that are already doing it to do research. Getting the ones, getting the minority clinicians already treating patients in the minority communities, getting them excited about research. So spread this webinar uh, to them or maybe introduce them to the, my YouTube channel or 
just email me their phone number and I'll call them. But we need more minorities in research any way we can do it. And that is my final statement, and I'm sticking to it. And then uh, Angel, Melanie, and Nancy all say thank you. Very informative. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris, for hosting a wonderful uh, webinar. Thank you, everybody. Everybody have a good, uh, we'll see you in a month. I, many of you are on podcasts weekly, but. See you next right? month, unless you're in the Patreon channel. We do, we're doing our monthly Zoom meeting uh, either next week or the week after. Free pl shameless plug, patreon.com slash dancefera. Since we're doing shameless plugs, we got the CRA Academy. We got the CRC Academy. Like I said, we're looking to uh, incorporate elements of diversity in, and how we can improve diversity in research uh, for our internship program. Chris and I run DSCS CRO as well as DSCS Sweat Equity Investments, where we work with sponsors on getting sites, getting more minority sites in, uh, involved in research. So text me if you're interested in that, 949-415-6256. Get the book. If you know a clinician who's interested in participating, give them our book or send them the link, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. If you are a site looking to get more studies, negotiate budgets, create source documents, SOPs, all that stuff, we have a monthly flat fee. Text me, 949-415-6256. Uh, we get the commercials out of the way. Well, I was just going to say somebody's asking for your number again, but you repeated it. Then yeah. somebody, else is, somebody else is asking, is the Patreon account basically for aspiring business owners? The Patreon account's for anybody looking to leverage social media to create opportunities for themselves, whether that is just somebody that wants to be an employee and keep growing their career or somebody that wants to start a business. It's all the same because we're, using, we're all using the same tools. And this year, it's very much the focus around LinkedIn. Uh, so that's what the Patreon is all about. Building your brand. If you're, you don't need to want to start a business to have a brand. Uh, if you are an employee or want to be an employee in the space, you need a brand. And guess what? You already have a brand. If nobody knows who you are, that's your brand. Um, so you, we got to fix that. And there's such a huge opportunity there as well. So, yeah, the Patreon's really good. Uh, I actually really like doing the, those calls I do with the Patreon people. Chris witnessed me doing a call yesterday with one of the mm -hmm. Patreon members. So before we go, Dan, repeat your number one more time, because I think I was interrupting you. Okay, yeah, no problem. 949-415-6256. I get a lot of calls to just text, and then I know who you are. There's also, unfortunately a lot of spam people calling me too, so I don't really answer. But if you text me, then we can talk. All right. Sounds good. And thank you, everybody. And uh, you're welcome, everybody who said thank you, which was pretty much everybody that attended. Um, we'll see you in a month. Thank you all. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. 
So hey everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.